presence of the Lord. Man, what a good morning. What a, what a rich morning. It is always good to be in the presence of the Lord um, and, in, and in God's house. If, if you grew up, uh, maybe you grew up going to church, and um, sometimes I would hear the phrase, when I was in church, I would hear that this was God's house, and uh, it was half true. It was half true, because I remember I'd be running as a kid in the church, and uh, there was a rule. I don't know if you guys ever had it. It was called no running in church. And sometimes we'd get real spiritual, and they'd be like, no running in God's house. And I'd be like, oh, I, I didn't. Okay, yeah, definitely no. No running. Do you run at your house? And then I didn't need to answer that. And uh, the truth is, is this. It is God's house, but it's only God's house because you're here. And where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, God's there. And when Jesus went back to be with the Father, he said, it's good that I go away because I'm going to send the Spirit and he's going to live in you. He's going to be the comforter. Actually, you're going to be God's house. Now, he uses the word temple because that's where God lived, but now you are God's house. And so it's good to be in God's house this morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Hey, I've got a couple announcements as we move into the message uh, part of our service, we've got next week coming up uh, what we call our fall hangout. And um, it is, that is what it is. It is in the fall. I don't know if you guys are recognized yet, but we have, the seasons have changed. Thanks be to God. And uh, we are in fall. And so we're going to hang out. Our small groups are uh, got a little competition going on. Now, this isn't a small group event, but they get to participate too. You guys that are a part of small groups got a little competition going on with chili cook-off. And uh, the rest of us that are there for our hangout uh, get to participate in some of that chili cook-off. And we'll get to decide uh, who the winner is. Uh, there's some major prizes being handed out. Uh, and by major prizes, I just mean uh, glory. <laughs> just pure glory if you win for the next year because we did it last year and maybe we'll do it again next year depends on how good the chili is all right uh no there's a lot of stuff we'll have some games for the kids it's right here at the church we'll be outside and inside we got some fire pits going on we'll be uh roasting some marshmallows hanging out doing some games or whatever we just our church is so new and so many of you are so new it's just a great opportunity to get together and and uh and uh mingle hang out all right. Guess who came up with that name? All right. Um, okay. Hey, the next one is this. Uh, we've got next steps on October 29th in two weeks. Next steps is our on-ramp to all things four corners. And uh, if you've been here for a little bit, you want to know how to take your next step uh, into this awesome family. We would love to have you there. It is uh, about 45 minutes to an hour um, immediately following the service. Includes lunch. All right, so most of you guys, some of y'all are even ready for lunch right now, and I've got good news. On the 29th, we will have lunch if you're a part of Next Steps, uh, and child care if you need it. And so I want to invite you to that. It's going to be really good. Anybody have a good fall break? Anybody have a good fall break? Some of y'all are looking at me like, fall, fall break? What's that? I don't know. We had fall break at the house. Um, my kids were on fall break from, from school. We played, uh, stayed, we stayed around the house, a little, little staycation. Any staycation fans in here? We played hide-and-go-seek on our bikes. 
at night, I live uh, close to a school. Is that, that that's okay, right? Okay, so, yeah. Yeah, I go see on our bikes, me and the kids. And um, I remember playing hide and go seek as a kid. You guys played hide and go seek? Some of y'all, some of y'all are like, I don't know. I just was born and now I'm here. I didn't even have a childhood. Did y'all play any games? Any games at all? We played hide and go seek. It was, a, it was the greatest game ever. I loved hide and go seek. How many of you thought, like when you were really little, you remember thinking, I'm going to play hide and go seek. <clears throat> and as long as I keep my eyes closed, no one can, no one can see me. Did y'all have that? Did y'all have that rule? That was my, my son. I remember when he was like three, we were playing hide and go seek at the house. And um, he's he's three, so he's terrible at it. And we had a we had a we turned our garage into like a little playroom, and because um, we ran out of room in our in our tiny home, and um, and so we were gonna play. There's nothing in there. And I remember we were playing hide and go seek. He's three. He runs in there, and so he hides, but he just curls up in a in a ball in the middle of the floor. There's no furniture. There's no blankets. It's just like if you walk into the room, you just go, well, there's Grant, like, and I just remember he was like this. He had his eyes closed, and I remember walking in going, where, where, I wonder where he is. And then he's just doing this. He's just, he's shaking. He's just giggling, laughing. How many of you, um, how many of you claim the, the hide-and-seek champion award? Anybody? You're like, I'm, I'm the champion of the hide-and-seek. Yeah. Some, some hands in there. Okay. Yeah. Nobody, nobody ever knows where you are. Yeah, that's how you, that's how you get the award. You're like, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be found. But then there's this little bit there where actually you kind of do want to be found, right? Because if you're hiding out and then nobody ever finds you and you come out and all the kids have gone home, and what's that? That's, like, that's called bullying. That's not hide and seek. That's not a real game. <laughs> no, you kind of want to be seen. No. So today we're talking about a woman that did everything in her power not to be seen. But somehow Jesus still finds her. And it changes her life forever. Changes her life forever. Uh, a lot of us, uh, I, I, I just want to say this this morning as we move into our message. Um, D- Jesus knows where you are. Jesus knows where you are. He, um, a lot of us play, we play spiritual hide and seek with God because, because a lot of us think if, if God really knew where I was in my life, if you really knew where I was in my life, with, with my, maybe with my, my, my failures or my fears or my shame or what, what, whatever's going on. If, God, if, if he really knew, then man, I'm not even sure he'd let me in the room this morning. I'm not, I'm not sure he would really want me in relationship. So I got to get good news. I got good news this morning. God, God does know where you are. He does see you. And it is the best news that you could possibly ever hear. I promise you that. It's the best news. Our passage this morning, John chapter 4, one of my my favorite stories in all of Scripture. John chapter 4 in our Encountering Jesus series. John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 4. It says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Everybody say, had to. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey. So he sat down at the well. It was about noon. And a Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. 
And so the Samaritan woman asks, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Verse 10, Jesus responded, if you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So walking through the, the Gospel of John, John is, uh, John is an artist, all right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of have their own way of telling the story, the, the, the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, according to Luke. John is especially unique. He's, he's kind of an artist. He kind of knows, knows how to paint these stories in the right way. And in John, we have multiple times where Jesus is encountering individuals, He's encountering specific individuals. And so that's where we are with our series. And so I just want to pull a few observations from our text this morning. Uh, We'll begin with verse 4 of the text we just read. It just says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Everybody say, had to. to. So he actually didn't. Jesus Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. Jesus didn't have to go. And here's why most people, most Jews went around Samaria. And it is like an extra like 30-mile journey around Samaria. They were in, on the way to Jerusalem. They would, in fact, the Jews would go out of their way because they didn't get along with Samaritans. And so most of them wouldn't go through Samaria. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. So John is saying he had to go through Samaria, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't a, a culture that was making him go through Samaria. It wasn't a tradition that made him go through Samaria. It wasn't convenience that was making him go through Samaria. There was was something else. What John is saying is it was the love of the Father that was driving Jesus to go through Samaria. In fact, later on, John says, he's quoting Jesus, and when Jesus says, look, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only do what God tells me to do. I don't do anything else. And so it wasn't... The, it wasn't these other things where Jesus had to go because there was a wall or there was something going on in another city where, oh man, I have to go. What drove Jesus through Samaria was the love of the Father for the person that he was going to encounter in Samaria. All right. So um, uh, John chapter 4, verse 5. All right, let's keep reading. He had to go through Samaria. He came to a city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. He's tired from his journey. So Jesus sat down. It was noon. Samaritan woman came to draw water. And he said, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone in to buy food. The story of the Samaritan woman, um, she isn't named in the story. Uh, And and I think there's a reason for that. I, I, I don't think that she's not named because she's not important. I think she's not named because... Uh, John, the gospel writer, wants us to find ourselves a part of ourselves even within her own story. And so you can identify yourself maybe in some areas even where the Samaritan woman is. Maybe, maybe feel the way that she felt. So she's a Samaritan. All right, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Let's unpack a little bit of a history. So anybody remember King David? Anybody heard of King David, David and Goliath? Anybody heard that story? So King David and Solomon, after King David and King Solomon, the, the Israel was united. Well, it split then after them into two different kingdoms. You got the northern kingdom, uh, oftentimes called Samaria. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Uh, northern 
kingdom, after it split, gets taken over by the Assyrians in the 700s. And, and the Assyrians come to, to basically take um, uh, the Israelites from the northern kingdom. But what they did was they went and they, they, they took the, the best and the brightest. Those that had the, the, the skills and, and, and um, those that had something to offer. And so what was left behind were those that maybe others would feel like they just weren't, weren't worth anything. And so uh, maybe according to their standards, maybe struggling with uh, you know, sickness or, or different kinds of conditions or whatever. And, uh, and then the Assyrians brought other foreigners into the northern kingdom and then they would have them intermarry um, uh, among all the, the Israelites there. They f- forced them to intermarry. And so some would say that this kingdom, this Samaria, this area was, was both religiously compromised and uh, also ethnically despised, all right? So that's, that's the northern kingdom. Southern kingdom is Judah. Judah gets taken over about 150 years later by the Babylonians. You guys with me? Y'all didn't know y'all were coming to a history lesson today, did you? So about 150 years later, Judah gets taken over. These are the stories where you hear about like Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. And this is all happening down here in, in, in Judah. And so this is the, 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 the people are still there. God's chosen people are still there. And so they're down there and they're looking up at their neighbors in, in, uh, uh, in Israel, in northern Israel, and they're looking at their, they're going, those aren't really our cousins. Those aren't really our brothers, our sisters. That's not, that's not really who they are. They aren't, they're not our family. Those are actually people that we despise. And so they've, they've already been separated. So for all kinds of reasons, they despise them. Maybe they're not as faithful. Maybe they're not as pure. Maybe the, 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 there's racial hostility in between the two. Um, there's all kinds of conflict going on. The truth is, is that also the, the Samaritans actually at that point maybe even thought that they were the, the, the holy ones, that they were the pure ones, they were the devout ones, that, you know, because they, you know, the other ones got taken off to, to Babylon. Maybe they weren't as faithful to, to the Torah. So there's, there's two sides to this story. There's always two sides to every story, at least at least two sides. So she's a Samaritan and Jesus is coming through. The Jews didn't want to go through Samaria. She's also a woman. Not only a Samaritan, but she's also a woman. And at this period, status for, uh, for women was just above property. And so this is where Jesus is walking through. John chapter 4, verse 11. And so it says, The woman says to him, so they begin a conversation. Jesus is sitting by the well. They begin a conversation. The woman says to him, sir, you don't have a bucket. The well is deep. Jesus has asked for water here. So where would you get this living water? You you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And so Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give, they will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. And so the woman said to him, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw. What's that word? (laughs) John puts water in here a, a, a bunch of times. Remember, he's an artist. He's putting this in here for a reason. Jesus' very first miracle that we come across 
in John is Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus has authority even over the water. Jesus, uh, the story we just did last week, Jesus and Nicodemus, he's talking about um, uh, water with a new birth. Later on, in John chapter 7, so we're in 4, later on in chapter 7, Jesus gets real specific, and he spells it out for everybody there. This is the text. He says, on the last day, the most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted. Are you ready? Here it is. All who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scripture said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from within him. And so Jesus said this concerning the Spirit. Those who believed in, him, believed in him would soon receive the Spirit, but they hadn't experienced the Spirit yet since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So when, it, so, so when Jesus is talking about water, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So here's this Samaritan woman, and she's thinking, if, if you really knew me, if you really knew where I was, if you really knew all about who, who I am and where I've been and where I am, you actually wouldn't be sitting across from me right now. And Jesus' response is instead, no, no, no. Actually, if you only knew, if you only knew who it was that's talking to you and the gift that God has for you, you would ask me. In other words, if you only knew how close God is to you and how good God is, then it would, it would change your life forever. It's such, a, it, it's such a paradox. Here's this woman. Here's Jesus blasting past everybody's expectations. There, look, I don't know. I can only presume there's some frustrations going on with the disciples at this moment. They did not want to go. They didn't want to go through Samaria. No, no self-respecting Jew wanted to go through Samaria. Not only that, they definitely didn't want to go in town to go get food. And Jesus is here by himself at the well talking to this woman. And even the woman knows you shouldn't be here. If you only knew, I don't know how you got here, if you only knew where I was, you wouldn't be talking to me. And Jesus' response is, no, 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 if you only knew. If you only knew. So a couple of notes this morning in our series, Encountering Jesus. If you're, if you're uh, taking notes, you can write this down. The first one is this. Jesus knows your plans. Jesus knows your plans. In other words, Jesus knows what you're really longing for. There, there are ways um, we can quench our thirst, but we're always going to be thirsty again. Jesus is talking about, woman thinks he's, she, he's talking about water from the well. He talks about living water, but it's just a metaphor for anything. I mean, if you, if you take a vacation, man, I need a vacation. Anybody need a vacation? Anybody? Now, that's my best amen so far. All right. <laughs> you take a vacation, and then you get home, and what do you say? I need another vacation. Why? Because you go on vacation, and you're thirsty, and you need, you need something, but it's still going to run out. You uh, extroverts in the room, you're like, oh, I've got I, I to gotta get out of this office. I've got to go be with people. I need to be with people. And so you, it's after work, and you go get together, and you hang out with all your friends, or you pull some families together, you're hanging out, you're with your small group. You're like, yes, yes, it is feeding your soul where my extrovert's at. It is feeding you. You're like, yes, I love being in this room right now. Yes. <laughs> yes, feeding me. And then you go home, and it, a couple days go by, and you're like, 
Ah, oh, I need to be with people again. Some of you introverts in here, and you're like, no. <laughs> this room is too full already. Hurry up, Joel. <laughs> you're going, I need to go back and be alone again. It, 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 no matter what, it doesn't matter what it is. Any gift of God, those are good gifts. Any gift of God is a good gift. Water is a good thing. Jesus is offering water. It's a good thing, but he isn't trivializing this gift. Water's good. What he's doing is he's prioritizing it. He's not talking down to the woman. Everybody needs water. Everybody needs to go to this well. He's not trivializing. He's prioritizing it. About 600 years earlier, the prophet Jeremiah writes this. Jeremiah chapter 2. He says, this is, this is the problem. My people have committed two crimes. They've forsaken me, the spring of, look at that, living water, and they have dug wells, broken wells that can't hold water. I wonder if Jesus is thinking about this scripture when he's, standing, uh, when he's sitting at the well with the Samaritan woman. I wonder if this is in the back of his head when he's sitting there. There's only one well that brings living water. Jeremiah is talking about uh, uh, idolatry. Idolatry is just um, going to something temporary and asking it to provide for you something eternal. That's all it is. Something, Something limited. Asking for it to provide you for something ultimate. There's a lot of limited things in our lives that if we if we flip, if we switch it around and we go, no, 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 I, I know this is a, a limited resource. I know this is a limited well, a limited thing, but I need living water out of it. There's a lot of limited things that we pursue, that we look for and long for, but there's actually only one thing that satisfies. Only one thing that satisfies. What's crazy is Jesus is sitting at a, at a well the way John paints this story is he, he puts Jesus at a well across from this Samaritan woman. There's significance all through the Bible about wells. Um, there's, um, it's like the biblical uh, meat cute, all right? Any, anybody, any rom-com fans in here? Yes? Some of y'all are scared to raise your hand and be, be proud. Yeah. Yes. Anybody like the classics? You know, what's your, what, what, what's your favorite? And maybe anybody, your favorite is uh, uh, You've Got Mail. That's a, that's a classic. Yes. Uh, Princess Bride. Just remember that when I keep talking about Jesus. Are y'all going to have to? Sleepless in Seattle. Oh. What about um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? That's for you, babe. That one's for you. The proposal? Okay. So all rom-coms have a meet-cute. The meet-cute is simple. It's just where the couple that is going to fall in love, they, they meet for the first time, all right? It rarely goes well, or if it does, it goes really well, and then something happens, and they can't get back together, and there's, oh, okay. So the well in the Bible is the biblical meet-cute. It happens all the time. John wants us to know this. You've got uh, Rebecca and Isaac. All right, Rebecca and Isaac meeting at the well. Uh, They go down there. Rebecca's there, and uh, the animals need watering. And so Rebecca waters 
uh, all the camels, which apparently was a really big thing. All right, they were looking out, for, and so meet cute, boom, uh, wins his heart, they fall in love. All right, Rachel and Jacob, Rachel and Jacob, they get together at a well. He, in fact, he meets her and kisses her immediately. I don't know that I would suggest that. I'm just saying that's what happened, and it's in the Bible. So... Moses and Zipporah. Moses leaves Egypt. He runs away off to, um, uh, outside of Egypt. And he goes and he lands and he sits by a well. And uh, 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 some uh, women come over. And then local shepherds come over and they see the women. And they try to, they try to run, run them off. And Moses comes to their rescue and saves them from the enemy shepherds. The enemy local shepherds. He rescues them. And so the women went home to their dad and and they're like, this is what happened. And they tell them. And they go, well, why did you leave him? Where did you leave your hero? And they're like, oh, he's back at the well. And he goes, well, go back and get him. So this is, this is the picture that people that know the scriptures, that have heard these stories, they're, they're hearing this. And if you're steeped in Old Testament history and you begin to hear the gospel of John Tell this story. There's something about wells and love and weddings and love. And so John's going to a well here to get water, and this woman is there. And so if you're listening, you're going, oh, no, 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 no. This can't happen here. This can't happen with Jesus. No, not at the well. Not him. Not her. You can't. This is what they're listening to. This is what they're reading. This is the moment. It is, it, it is, it's, it's a wild moment in the text with John wants you thinking here it's just this is that Jesus knows your plans he knows what you are really long for longing for what's really in your heart what you really thirst for Jesus here is the pursuer he is always the pursuer God is always pursuing sometimes we hear people's stories of faith and they're so encouraging and sometimes we hear the phrase and maybe we've used the phrase before that I yeah I've, I've, I've found Jesus or maybe you're talking about somebody some somebody maybe you used to go to school with some heathen some reprobate and uh, you go oh yeah he found Jesus actually he didn't he didn't find him Jesus found him Jesus is always the pursuer so he knows what you're longing for and he knows where to find you the second one is this Jesus knows your pain. So he knows your plans. Jesus knows your pain. John 4, Jesus said to her, go get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right to say I don't have a husband. He answered, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. A lot of us have probably heard the story before. You've heard the woman being described as a, a, a sinful woman. Sinful woman. Um, I've, 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 you know, I've said that. I've preached that before. And the truth is, it doesn't say that she was a sinful woman. It says um, later on, there's a story, uh, a few chapters later, where Jesus is talking to, in the text, it says a sinful woman. Because uh, a sinful man ran off and he didn't make the story. But the sinful woman is in there. And this one, it doesn't, doesn't say that she's a sinful woman. It actually never addresses her mistakes but it does name her situation. She's had five husbands. Um, in that day, uh, women didn't have uh, uh, power to divorce a husband. 
They, 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 couldn't, they couldn't divorce. It was only the man. And uh, some thought during that day, there were some that thought uh, in the tradition that you could divorce a woman for any reason that you wanted. Just a certificate. Just hand a certificate, all right, for, for, for any reason. And so the thought in the first century of somebody hearing this story may not be, uh, oh, you terrible woman. It, it, it may more likely be something like, what happened? What happened to you? Who, who, who used you and then discarded you? Who left you? So there's some kind of trauma going on. Or maybe she's had five husbands and, and just dealt with unspeakable tragedy. Lifespans were very short during that day. And um, there was some thought in the law that if someone, uh, if your spouse died, if your uh, husband died, it was the role of the closest relative to marry. All right. That was the way it is. No, it's not that way anymore, guys. So we don't. The role of the closest relative to marry. And so maybe what happened was, you know, she, she got married and then her husband died and then the next one died and the next one died. And, just, and, and so she's, she's dealt with just unspeakable tragedy. And, so, and, and maybe the reputation around town is, don't get close to her. <laughs> don't get close to her. Either way, whether trauma or tragedy or both, she's walked through it. You see her a little differently now? She's walked through it. Jesus doesn't name her situations of five husbands to shame her, but to see her. He doesn't name them so that, though painful, he can, he can point out and go, I just want us to recognize, I just want us to realize what all we're talking, I just need you to know, I know what you've done. I know what you've gone through. Now, we can continue to have this relationship, but I just need you to know, you're the worst. That's not, that is, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't point it out to shame, but to recognize so that she sees that he sees her all the way through, sees the, the real her. The third one is this, Jesus knows your plans, Jesus knows your pain, Jesus sees you. So don't, don't raise your hand, but if I ask, how many of you say, when people see me, you know, they don't see the real me? Maybe they see uh, uh, social media me, um, you know, maybe they see that thing that I did a long time ago um, that I wish I didn't do, but that's what they see, or maybe they see what I do for a living. When people see me, they see what I do, or maybe when people see me, they see the, the, the other people that are around me, or maybe they see what I have, or what I don't have, whatever it is, they don't, they don't know the pain. They don't know what I've, what I've gone through. People get it wrong, but Jesus sees you, sees all the way through. We'll keep reading the text. Verse 19 says, the woman said, sir, I see, everybody say see, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you and your people say it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, Time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Neither one. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here. This is big. When true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit. And it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. 
The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. In um, John's gospel, you, you may have heard there's a lot of I am statements. Uh, uh, I, I am the bread of life. You know, I'm living water. I'm the good shepherd. Uh, I'm the door. There's a lot of I am statements. Um, but before really any of those, he reveals this very first one to the Samaritan woman. What Jesus is not saying is, you know, okay, show me what your credentials are. Let me see, let me see proof. Not only does Jesus see you, but he wants you to see him. This is actually how God has always been. So here's the Samaritan woman. She's asking some theological question, and that's a, that's a different sermon for a different time. And his response is, instead of answering, okay, you know, where, which, where are we supposed to worship? What, what, how is this supposed to go? Think of whatever theological question you may have or have ever had. And, 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 and instead of answering that, he gives this quick aside Okay, there's going to be a, that's fine. You can ask that. There's going to be a time, and it's not going to matter. You're not going to worship there. The Jews aren't going to worship there. It's it's it, it's going to be totally different. You're going to worship neither on that mountain or this mountain. And 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 but actually, the time has come. The time is already here. Time is the time is already here when the Messiah is going to come. The Christ, the one, the one who will teach everything to us. And then he says, "I am that one." I know she's search, she's desperately looking, and Jesus knows exactly, puts his finger on the plan, puts his finger on the pain, puts his finger, exact, look, I, she now knows he sees everything about her, and then he reveals to her, he reveals to her so that she can see. God not only wants you to know that he sees you, but he also wants you to see him. Oftentimes when we walk with, when we walk with Jesus, we and we're in relationship with the Lord, um, we can get frustrated because of how, um, because of the seasons. I mean, I love me some mountaintop moments with the Lord. Anybody love mountaintop moments with the Lord? I don't love the valley moments. Anybody love valley moments with the Lord? No. No, no, no. However, that is a lot of time that we spend in relationship with the Lord is oftentimes in valleys. That, that, that's why um, we have the psalmist, and he says, you're going to be with me always, even in the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. So, so oftentimes we think that we get frustrated in, in these seasons, not knowing, and um, truth is, is that God sees us in every season, and wants us to see him in those seasons. The frustration is that we don't know. We go, God, I, I, don't, I don't know where you are here. I can't get an answer with this, or I'm still dealing with that. And oftentimes there are victories that God gives, but, but life can be long. And there's seasons where we go, I, I, I don't understand. I'm confused. I need an answer. And oftentimes that is God's invitation to continue to draw close. You know why he doesn't just, I, I, this is my opinion. I, I think one of the reasons why God doesn't just give us answers like this all the time, like boom, answers all the time. Why? Be, because otherwise we, we go, because we're not, 
We're, the same. we're just like the people in the scriptures. Because we'll go and we'll get the answer. And we're like, okay, I got the answer. Good deal. All right. And you, then we go back and we do our own thing. And we go back, okay, what's the answer? Give me the study guide. Just give me the, give me the test before the test. I can know all the answers. I can fill in the blank. Because then I can go back and I can go do my own thing. And God is going, it's not about the answers to the test. It's about knowing my heart. It's about seeing me. So God sees us, not to shame us. He names it not to shame us, but so that we will realize how good he is. And then in turn, we can turn and we can hear him say, now I want you to see me. The first, I, it's so amazing. The first person that he shares this truth to in the Gospel of John is a Samaritan woman. That's wild. We, every one of us can identify somehow with her in that space. How God's always been. He's always been like this. There's a story in the Old Testament about um, angel of the Lord meeting Hagar in the wilderness. Hagar's female. She's an Egyptian uh, slave. And Hagar actually gets to name God at this. She's, she's alone. Um, thinks she's going to die. God comes, shows up. Angel of the Lord shows up and, uh, and blesses her. And... Um, she turns and she names. She said, you are the God who sees me. You're actually the God who sees me. That's, that's um, Abraham had received a promise, but it wasn't even fulfilled yet. She gets to be the one who's, who, gets this, who gets this blessing. The God who sees. So the story goes on, verse 28. The woman put down her water jar, went into the city. Jesus said to the people, come and see a man. Everybody say see who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to what? See Jesus. Yeah, I, John's, John's got it laying it out for us, man. He's put it on the bottom shelf. He wants us knowing that, he, that God wants us to, to see. Wants us to see. Come see a man who sees me. Could he be the Christ? The last one is this. Um... When you see how Jesus sees you, you want others to see Jesus too. When you see how Jesus sees you, you want others to see Jesus too. Come see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. <laughs> when, when, when is that good news? How is that good news? Come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Do you want a man to tell the city everything you've ever done? Do you want anybody to tell you everything? How, when, how in the world and when is that good news? It happens when our story becomes no longer a story of shame. That's, that's when it happens. When all of a sudden we see our story not through our eyes, but through Jesus' eyes. So no matter what's going on with a Samaritan woman, no matter what's going on in her life or has going on in her heart, Jesus makes a beeline through the city that nobody wants to go through. And he sits down at the well and meets with the person that nobody wants to meet with. You know why she was sitting at the well? It was, it was the middle of the day. Most people say the reason she was there in the middle of the day when nobody was around was because she didn't want to see anybody. She didn't want to see anybody because the town already knew everything she had already done. So she goes into town and they immediately they see her and they go, oh, she's, 
There's, there, there, she usually goes in the middle of the day. Just the hottest point of the day. Nobody gets water in the, in the, in the middle of the day. At that point, it's, it's time. It's, it, the, 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 the well is like the water cooler at work, what it used to be, um, where people would gather together, and they would talk, and they would meet, and they would kind of catch up on what's going on. And she didn't, she didn't want any of that. She goes into the city, and she says, hey, everybody. Hey, everybody, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And everybody in town is listening, and they're going, we already know. We, we already know. Why on earth would you invite us here? Why on earth would you invite us? And so they come. I don't know if they're, like, ready for some good gossip. I don't know if this whole city shows up because they're like, man, this is going to be some good stories. We get to, I don't know. I know that they showed up, and she invited them because her story wasn't a story of shame anymore. It had been... It had been completely flipped around. She allowed Jesus to reframe and rename her story because he sees. Because he sees. This is what happens when we encounter. When we encounter. Last week we talked about a, a God who loves us more than we know. This week we're talking about a God who sees, who is closer than you know. There can be fear depending on how we were raised or depending on how long we've walked with the Lord or not walked with the Lord, whether we would go, I don't know that I want God to be close. But that's why I love that phrase, closer and better. If you knew how close God was to you and how much better he is than you think, then you'd ask him for living water. So this is what I do want to do this morning. I just want, if you would, if you close your eyes, I want to say a prayer for you. Um, God's offer of living water Jesus' offer of living water wasn't just in that moment at the well. It was for every moment, for everybody. Everybody that's willing to be seen by Jesus and for him to rename and reframe that story. Living water. All of us thirst for things, all kinds of things. God's the only one that satisfies. He's the only one that satisfies and will stay through all the other thirsts. All, when they all fail, he'll stay all the way through to the end. Maybe you're in here this morning and you just say, if you're honest, you just say, Joel, I've gone after a lot of other wells. I've sought after a lot of other wells. Maybe, maybe you are walking with the Lord or maybe you're not. But either way, you've so, you have sought after other wells and you recognize this morning, I need the living water, the relationship with God. I need the true, my true thirst quenched by the living water today. That, 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 that meta, that's, that's, the, that's the metaphor God gives us for that moment. But that's your prayer. I need the living water today. Whatever that means, I don't, I don't want my priority to be the other wells. I want them to be this well. If that's you and it's just a confession, nobody's got your eyes open. It's just me, me and God. You just say, I, I want the living water in my soul today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high and you put it back down? Yeah, yes, so many. Raise it high, raise it high. Anybody else? Yes, 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 yes. I want to pray for you, but before I do, maybe you're in here and you just say, um, Joel, I, I'm, I, I need help seeing my story through Jesus' eyes, not through my eyes. I need Jesus to reframe my story for, for me. I'm walking with the Lord, but so much of my story seems to just weigh me down the way you talk, Joel, sounds like it's a freedom 
Sounds like, it's a, sounds like it's a weight that's lifted. It's a freedom. That living water, it's, it sounds satisfying. And I just need my, I need to see Jesus how, how he sees me, not how I see me. I need to reframe it. That's you. Nobody's looking around. It's just me. You're not gonna, I'm not going to ask you to come up here. It's just your prayer. It's a confession prayer. I want to see Jesus how, how he sees me. I, there's too much weight on me. I need him to take it. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high and you put it back down? Yeah. Yes. God, what a gift your word is today. God, what a gift your word is. The God who sees, not, not so that we would be afraid, not so that we would run, but because we actually, like a child playing the hide-and-go-seek, God, we want desperately in our souls to be found and to be seen by a God who loves. So loving Father, this morning, would you flood this space, this room, these people with your peace. Reframe the stories of pain and shame. God, I pray that you would fill up every heart with your living water. Change out the wells. God, seal up the wells that don't give life. They don't produce life. Seal those up and open up the well of living water that we may drink again this morning. We drink again this morning. We drink again from your well this morning. We drink again. If that's you this morning, if you, if you raise your hand, or maybe if you didn't, you just go, I, I want to drink from that well this morning. Just as, a, just as an act toward him, would you just take a deep breath? Just a deep breath. God, we, we breathe in your Holy Spirit in this moment. We breathe deep your Holy Spirit this morning, your freedom. We thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you for your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.